Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church and OCCathome.com. We are so glad you're here. At OCC, our mission is to invite people to take their next steps with Jesus. And so we pray that through our time together, you're encouraged and challenged to move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, everybody. Good to see everybody out there. That live nativity, that's coming. And if it goes well, great. If it doesn't, we'll just chalk it up to 2020. Now, we're excited about that. We've got some fun in store uh, for the kids uh, of OCC. And hey, a few things I wanted you to know about also is that uh, for those that are, if, if you're bouncing back and forth between the field and this live gathering and the online, uh, the online is, uh, we were having a hard time with our live stream. And so we've uh, shifted back to what we we're doing in the summertime with our pre-recorded service. And so uh, there's a group of people watching it right now. And so it is uh, we wanted to make sure it was reliable, and so in case there's weeks where you're just not able to bank it out here, then uh, we want you to know it, it'll be strong and steady for you. So, hey, since September, we've been walking through this book of the Bible called Acts, and gives us, as you have been hearing and learning, or may already know, it gives us the history and really the birth and the growth of the Christian church. And now we're up through Acts chapter 9 tonight, and so let's pray together. So join me in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your presence here. We welcome you, God, to this uh, this place. Thank you for uh, bringing us out here tonight, clearing a path for us to be here. Father, thank you for the weather. Uh, it, it is not too cold to, to meet out here. So thank you for that, Lord. And thank you for these people, Lord, that you've brought. It's an encouragement to each one of us to see uh, familiar faces and some new faces. And God, we want to hear exactly what you want to share with us tonight. So right now, we just ask you, Lord God, to speak to us. Speak to us in our hearts and our minds through your word. And in this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here in Acts chapter 9, we've come to a major turnaround story, a life change story. And up to now, people by the thousands have been joining the Christian movement. And this, what was a fledgling group of Christ followers group who had seen with their own eyes and, and, and touched and verified with their own hands that Jesus, in fact, had risen from the dead. This group was convinced that Jesus, in fact, was alive, and he was the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior, the, the one they'd been waiting for. And this group of Christians had been handed this assignment. It's Acts 1-8, and we've been looking at it every week, and, and hopefully it's a verse that when we come to the conclusion of this series, we'll all know pretty well. It, it reads this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this really was occurring. And so we've been zooming in each week on individual stories and encounters and we're seeing this whole movement expand to each of these different places referenced in this verse. It's actually occurring. And last week we talked about a foreigner from the land of Ethiopia who was on a, a spiritual pilgrimage, if you call it that. It, he was heading to Jerusalem to worship the God of Israel. This is about a thousand mile journey from central, north central Africa to Jerusalem. And he is, has already worshipped in the temple. Now it says that he's... 
he was returning back home and he was reading the Old Testament scroll of Isaiah the prophet, but he had some really troubling questions. And he wanted to know more about what this scroll was, was saying. And so as he's reading it, God had sent a man named Philip to just, uh, Philip at just the right time to point this man to Jesus who, you know, could put all of this man's questions to rest. He could answer the questions the guy came asking. And, and that man's life was turned around. And he got baptized, and then he was able to take the message of Jesus back to his homeland, back to Ethiopia. An example of to the ends of the earth. We see this verse, Acts 1-8, being fulfilled in these different stories. And that that man from Ethiopia, he saw some water, and he said, what would keep me from being baptized right now? There's water. And so Philip baptized this Ethiopian man. And last Sunday night, a handful of people were baptized. Here's a picture of, of the folks. There's a little collage of the folks that were baptized out here in the cold. And you got to hand it to them. They were brave and courageous and bold in going public. And that was a really exciting night. And so we just want to highlight that again. But now we've arrived at Acts chapter 9. And we, we come to another turnaround story. But this one is far more dramatic and unlikely than even last week's story. Maybe you've thought to yourself, there's, there's absolutely no way ever that this guy or that this gal would ever turn to Jesus Christ and surrender their life to him. There's probably people in your life with some openness. Maybe there's some range of interest in spiritual things. We tend to want to focus on those that, that are maybe a little more ripe and interested in faith in Jesus. Because none of us really want to take the risk of sharing our faith only to be rejected as we start sharing our faith with others. If you take a risk and actually invite people to either come to church or maybe to listen to your story of life change, you're taking a risk. If you've ever done that before, it can be scary to take a risk to actually share about Jesus. For some people, that's an offensive message. Now, I've had, I've had some people through the years as I've shared my story or if I've shared my faith with people, I've had some people gently and politely turned down my attempts to share Christ with them. And they just have said, you know, I'm not interested in that. So we change the subject. But I've never had anybody scream at me. Maybe you have. Maybe you've tried to share and people have been hostile towards you. Maybe. But I've never had that happen to me. I've never had anybody scream at me. I've never had anybody punch me out. But I've heard stories about people being really, really antagonized. I can't imagine what it would be like to have someone attack me and beat me like some of the stories we've been reading about. But the man whose story we'll begin today with was in such opposition to Jesus, he was charging with all of his might against Christianity. And he was determined to annihilate the Christian movement. And that man's name was Saul. And Saul... He was a fully devoted and determined Jewish man. Saul is his Hebrew name. We, we mostly refer to him by his Greek name, Paul. And so if you've heard us talk about Paul or Paul's letters, Paul and Saul is the same person. Saul is his Hebrew name, and Paul is his, his Greek name. And so, kids, are you out there? Got some kids? All right. Hey, we've got. I know that there's not too many of you out there tonight, but... We've got a little video for you summarizing today's message. So let's 
Turn and take a look at the screens. The Miracle of Mercy. Paul. This is Saul. Saul was a Pharisee who hated the followers of Jesus so much that he would hunt them down to be brought to trial in Jerusalem. And he would even seek to murder them. Saul was uttering threats with every breath, and he was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He asked him to write a letter to the Jews in Damascus that would allow him to arrest any Christians he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Now Saul went on his way. And as he came near Damascus, a light from heaven flashed around him, and he heard a voice that said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul cried out, Who are you, Lord? And the voice said, I am Jesus. Rise and go into the city, and you will be told what to do. So Saul got up, and he opened his eyes, but he couldn't see anything. So the men who were with Saul led him into the city. After three days, a man named Ananias came to Saul. He put his hands on Saul and immediately Saul could see again. And with that, Saul became a follower of Jesus. He became the very thing he had tried to hunt. And he immediately began telling people that Jesus is the Son of God. And he taught them about the mercy of God that he had received. And all who heard him were amazed. He then went by a new name, Paul. As he began preaching not just to the Jewish people, but to everyone. Despite many difficulties like being imprisoned, shipwrecked, and narrowly escaping death multiple times, Paul continued to preach about Jesus. Paul said that he would do everything he could to save people and help them know God. And that's just what he did in order to reach people who would otherwise be unreached. And many came to know Jesus because of what Paul said. Paul taught many in his day through his letters, but even more have come to learn more about Jesus through the letters of Paul that can be read even to this day. I love how that video just highlights the impact that Paul, his life, and his letters are still making today. As we look tonight at his life and his story, I'm going to break this up into three sections. So we're going to see how Paul was shattered and restored, how he was chosen for a purpose, and then how he was bold in his witness. So first, let's look at this first point. Paul was shattered and restored. What I mean is that when we, when Paul meets the, re, the risen Jesus, he was somehow, all at the same time, totally devastated and undone. And, and then completely put back together. He was completely fulfilled all at once. If you could imagine maybe the strongest, most indestructible vase or a piece of pottery that is dropped and shattered into a bunch of pieces and then immediately someone's able to glue that thing back together and it's whole again. 
that's sort of how I see Paul's or Saul's turnaround. He's totally shattered at one point, and he's put back together. So let's look at the story. We, we can most of what was on that kid's video was really pretty accurate. But let's look at the the text from Acts chapter nine, verse one through nine. It reads: Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Now we need to understand some backstory here, so I want to take you to two places. First, look back at Acts, Acts seven fifty eight. At the scene of the first Christian martyr or martyrdom of a man named Stephen, it says, They threw him, Stephen, this Christian, they threw him out of the city and began to stone him. They're throwing rocks at him to kill him. And the witnesses laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. So Saul is this rising, young, and zealous leader who approved of the first Christian murder, this persecution of this Christian named Stephen. And you see, the Christian movement was a major threat to the Jews who rejected Jesus as their Savior. There, there were many Jews who were awaiting the Messiah. The Messiah is that one that they were waiting for God to send to rescue and restore the Jews who'd been captured and then exiled and eventually allowed to return back to their land, only to find themselves living under now Roman oppression at this point. And Jesus, he came in that setting and some people received him and believed that he was the Messiah. Those were the Christians, the Christ followers. Others, however, the majority, they rejected him. And so sometimes this rejection of Jesus and his followers became bloody. And Saul, he just stood there approving of the death and the murder of Stephen. Then look at the next chapter, Acts 8. It reads, Saul agreed with putting him Stephen to death and on that day a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria and so Christians are fleeing everywhere the, the apostles stay put in Jerusalem but all the rest of the Christians had to flee for their lives it says in verse 2 devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him Saul however was ravaging the church and the idea here is that Saul takes it upon himself, his whole mission, his duty to God, his assignment is to clear out Jerusalem, the city, from all of these Christians. So he's ravaging the church. It says that he would enter house after house. He would drag off men and women, and he would put them in prison. Again, Saul, you have to understand, Saul is fully committed to this cause. So that's Saul. So back to chapter 9, verse 1. Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest and he requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. You see, for Saul, it wasn't enough to clear Christians out of the city of Jerusalem. No, not enough for Saul. For him, it's, hey, let's find them all wherever they've scattered to. Let's find every rock that they're crawled under. Let's find every cave that they're hiding out in. Let's find every, every home, every neighborhood, every town. Let's find all of the Christians and eliminate this threat completely. This is determination and commitment. Saul, he often gets a bad rap because of, you know, he's a persecutor. He, he's rounding up innocent people and bringing them harm but we have to understand when you when you think about Paul's conversion experience we have to understand things from Paul's or from Saul's point of view this group of Christians 
were threatening Judaism. Saul knew the Old Testament. And I think Saul must have seen himself as a man with a duty, just like the Old Testament prophets who stood against the opposition. People like Elijah who stood against the false prophets of Baal. And if you remember that story, Elijah courageously stood against false prophets. And I think Saul in some ways saw, saw his role as, as someone just like that who would stand and basically make sure that Judaism was protected. This was a way of life for his people. And in many ways, he's just, he's just doing what he's doing out of devotion. He's trying to stamp out the lies that he believed and so, verse 3, it says, as he was traveling, or as he traveled, and he was nearing Damascus, and here's a map just so you can get a, get a sense of, again, his commitment. He goes all the way from Jerusalem up into Syria. He heads north on a road towards Damascus, and it says, a light from heaven, as he's traveling, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's almost as if someone that he had personally attacked, was speaking to him. And he says, Who are you, Lord? Saul said. There's a voice. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. Now, it's interesting. Jesus so personally identifies with the pain that was endured by people that were suffering. So Jesus, if ever we're wondering, I wonder what his connection is. I mean, we are, the, the Christians are the body of Christ. And so when things happen to Christians, Jesus, he, he takes that personally. And you see that here, even in this text. Why are you persecuting? You know, essentially, I, I'm the one you're, you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Verse 7 reads, the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound, but seeing, not, seeing no one. Now, Saul actually sees who it is for a moment. Because later on in Acts, in the later chapters, Acts 22, I think in Acts 26 as well, he's describing this experience again, and he talks about seeing Jesus, seeing the risen Christ. So he sees him, but then he's temporarily blinded. Saul got up from the ground, it says in verse 8, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And so they took him by the hand, and they led him into Damascus. And he was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. So there he is, shattered and completely helpless. But in, in God's mercy, he, God would guide him to do what, what's next for him. And I want to show you a, a clip from the movie God's Not Dead. I don't know if you've seen this movie before. But this scene sort of reminds me of Saul's total turnaround. Because in this tragic scene... You're going to see an atheist, uh, he's a, a philosophy professor in a college, and he completely opposes Christians, and he wants to make Christians pay for believing in Jesus. And so he, he, this professor seeks to embarrass Christians, he intimidates them, he bullies them, and his effort, all of his efforts are in order to get Christians to second guess their beliefs and to renounce their faith in Christ in order to get a good grade. In class, and but this is a tragic. This is a, a tragic scene in that movie. And parents, uh, this is only a movie. And kids, this is only a movie. 
Um, but still, this is a, a tragic scene, and, and because of that, it's really a hard scene to watch. But the professor, he is, he's the one standing at a crosswalk. He's standing at a crosswalk, and then there's two guys in a car who observe the wreck, and the two men in the car are Christians that God uses in this tragic scene. So let, let's take a look. Oh, that's perfect. So much for sunny and clear skies. wish that it did, but I'm here to tell you that it's a gift, because the God that you don't believe in has given you another chance, another chance to change your final answer. I, I want to die, I'm so scared. If any consolation, so is Jesus. He's so scared he sweat blood. He asked the Father if it could be removed from him, but the answer was no. He says no a lot. He gives us the answer we'd ask for if we knew what he knows. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, says the Lord. Exactly. So the question is, stay with me. Stay with me. Are you willing to put your faith in Jesus Christ? Are you willing to take that chance? God is willing to forgive you of your sins. All of them. If you accept His Son and ask Him into your life, that's all you have to do is just accept His Son. Accept His love and receive His forgiveness right now. Do you accept Him? as Lord and Savior. Yes, I... I... It's all right. In a few minutes, you're going to know more about God than I do or anybody else here does. It's okay. It's okay. It's a pretty gripping scene. Um, you have to really see the entire movie to to understand what's all wrapped up in in him and what he's what he's sharing. He's he's struggling to embrace Christ. He has he has a lot of anger and bitterness in his heart from some hurts that he really ne- never let go of. 
and he, he shares a scripture. Obviously, there was some church experience at one point, but he'd walked away from that long ago. And he was a man that was, again, opposing Christianity with all that he could. I mean, this was his focus. The focus of his life was to talk Christians out of believing in Jesus any longer. But then we see in these, in, in the final moments of his life, we see God's mercy being extended to this man. And only God knows why he chose to extend an offer of grace and mercy to Saul. A man who persecuted Christians before meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus. And you might be here wondering, why would God give me another chance after the way that I lived my life or the way you've lived your life? But if, if you sense God tugging on your heart, then don't delay any longer. God can completely put your life back together. He's the only one who can give us the purpose and the hope that we long for in life. I think it's God's kindness that we see expressed in the story of Saul. That God would shatter his life only to put it all back together all at one time in this moment on that road. So he's shattered. He's put back together. Second thing about Paul is he was chosen for a purpose. So here's how the story continues. They, they now arrive in this city. And remember, Paul is blinded. He has to be led by the hand into the city of Damascus. It says in verse 10, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied. This is the vision, okay, supernatural experience. God says to Ananias, get up and go to the street called Straight. That's, you know, I don't know what street you live on, maybe Magnolia Avenue or Central Avenue. Or He says, go to the Straight Street, okay, the street called Straight. The Lord said to him, go to the house of Judas and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many, I've heard from many people about this man. You see, Saul's reputation was spreading. There's this man who is crazy intent on killing Christians. If you see him, run the other way. Ananias said, Lord, I've heard about this man, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he has the authority here from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Now, who of us would be so bold as to argue with God who gives you a vision? <laughs> Visions are unusual experiences. Here he is arguing with God. Why? Well, because he's Saul. Again, this helps us understand the story. Saul is not a guy you want to mess with. Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go. For this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. Essentially, I've chosen Saul for a purpose. Sometimes we want to question God's methods. We want to question God's instruments or his messengers. But that's all God's prerogative. Verse 16. He says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, Saul is the most unlikely person in Ananias' mind. The most unlikely became the most useful instrument to accelerate the spread of Christianity to the ends of the earth. 
Verse 17, Ananias, he went and he entered the house and he placed his hands on, on Saul and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road that you were traveling, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And at once something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. You know, there, there, there's this interesting imagery of he's blinded, but now he can see again. And I think a lot of times my experience with people is we share the message of Jesus and it's almost like there's scales over people's eyes. And it's, it's like it's right there. Here's hope. Here's purpose. Here's eternal life. Here's answers on how to navigate your life. But it's like if the if we're blind to that, we it, it, life it could be right there, right in front of us, and we just can't see it. We can't taste it. We can't experience it. We can't accept the change that God is offering. God has to do some work in our hearts to remove the scales from our eyes, to remove the, the blindness that is preventing us from embracing Christ. So Paul experiences this this immediate restoration of sight and then look at what happens paul is bold in his witness he's bold and just really quickly look at this part of the passage verse 19 saul was with the disciples in damascus for some time so now he's a christian now and he's with other christians there in that city and it says immediately he began proclaiming jesus in the synagogues and this is what he would say he's the son of god this is his message. He's the son of God. Jesus really is the son of God. And so Saul's transformation just astounded everyone because they knew his story. So look at verse 21. All who heard him were astounded and said, isn't this the man in Jerusalem who is causing havoc for those who called on the name and came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? So God is using his past to create more intrigue. And people just couldn't deny the transformation. Verse 22, but Saul grew stronger and he kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Saul's using the scriptures and he's connecting dots for people that Jesus truly is the one they'd been waiting for. After many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plot. So they were watching the gates day and night intending to kill him. But his disciples, Saul, had some people that began to follow him at this point. His disciples took him by night, lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. And he's off to safety. Verse 26, when he arrived back in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him since they didn't believe he was a disciple. They probably thought this is a trap. We're not falling for this one. Barnabas, however, took him, brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. So already he's beginning to experience quite a bit of opposition himself. When the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. 
And so the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So Saul's transformation, it ushers in a brief time of peace, allowing for more growth and expansion of Christianity. And in verse 20, it says, immediately Saul began to share Christ with people. And I think important part about this idea and the pattern we see in Saul's conversion is there's a season of fruitfulness that we need to pay attention to. There's one season of fruitfulness very early on if and when you embrace Jesus and yield your life to him as the Lord. When you first commit your life to Christ, those first few years, it's a season of opportunity. It's a key opportunity early on. And if that's you, pay attention to this this time. Don't let it pass. Just like just like Saul say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He's changed my life. Share that with everyone you can. My dad, he recently reminded me of a story that I've heard him share several times. But it's a story from about 45 years ago when he had just become a Christian. My dad became a Christian at the age of 18. And he was raised in a Catholic home. And when he was about 12, his parents said, you don't need to go anymore to church. And so he chose not to go to church anymore. And when he was 18, on a tennis court, he committed his life to Christ when some guys came up and shared with him about Jesus. And he was dating my mom at the time, and he went home, shared it with her. And she believed, they, they what do we do now? And little the little pamphlet they had said, go find a church. So they looked up a church, old school in the phone book, and they got plugged into a church and they started growing. Within about two years, he'd been growing and, and learning how to share his faith. And my, my mom and my dad at the age of 20, along with one of their cousins, went to the Oakland Coliseum. My parents were living in San Jose. This was uh, before I was born, just a, maybe a, a year or two before I was born. But they were... 20 years old, they decided to go to the Oakland Coliseum because there was a giant Jehovah's Witness convention with over 50,000 Jehovah's Witnesses. And Jehovah's Witness is a, uh, it's, it is a, it's a cult. It's, uh, there's, there's differences in the Bible that they use. There's, uh, changes and omissions of words. And so it, it, would take people off track and so they wanted to go to begin sharing with people at this giant convention with 50,000 Jehovah's Witnesses so they go to the Oakland Coliseum and it's lunchtime and so they were walking through the parking lot of the Oakland Coliseum and they had 500 copies of a uh, a double-sided paper that they'd photocopied that was it basically was called the uh, 100 years of divine directions. And these were prophecies by Jehovah's Witness leaders, all documenting specific dates of when Jesus would return, but he didn't return. And it was put together to show that the Jehovah's Witnesses were promoting falsehoods, and that these prophecies were in fact lies, because God's prophets are always spot on, and false teachers aren't. And so my, my dad had, had began to study on this, and he wanted people to know this. And so during lunch break, as people were eating lunch in their car and had their windows 
crack down just a little bit. My mom and dad were slipping this sheet of paper one by one in cars walking through the parking lot. Pretty quickly, as you can imagine, they were surrounded by about 40 angry people who proceeded to kick them out of the parking lot. And they tried to share and they they said, well, would you take a look at this? What you're believing is not true. And as they're being escorted away, my mom heard a familiar voice. It was the voice of her half-sister, my Aunt Linda, who had moved out of state to Arizona, but was there for this convention because she was a Jehovah's Witness. And my Aunt Linda called out my mom's name and said, Eva, it's me. You've become a Jehovah's Witness. And my mom told her, no, I've become a Christian. And we want you to know that there's holes in what you're believing. And she gave them, she gave her and her husband at that time this sheet of paper. And her husband's name's Ray, and he was raised Jehovah's Witness. And he pointed at them and said, I'm going to prove everything wrong on this sheet. And he, he went and he researched it. And eventually they committed their lives to follow Jesus. And I love the story because it's a crazy story for a bunch of reasons. But it's a powerful reminder of how we can be bold witnesses if we make ourselves available to God. After Paul's conversion, he shifts from trying to exterminate Christians to encouraging others to explore a relationship with Jesus. He's not trying to force people or manipulate people, but he just keeps trying to explain the Christian message and no other person had had an impact, has had an impact on the world apart from Jesus than this man, Paul. So as we sort of wrap up, I want to give you a few takeaways from Paul's turnaround. The first one is God works through us despite our past. You might think you've been really good in life. Morally, maybe a lot of accomplishments, a lot of awards. Or maybe you think the opposite. I've been really bad in life. Maybe you have a really checkered past. And you think, there's no way God would accept me. Well, Paul was both really good and really bad. But here's how he looked at his past. Look at Philippians 3, 7. He, he writes, But everything that was a gain to me I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You see, God will likely use our past in some way, and he wants to renew our future. Second thing, major takeaway, don't underestimate the impact of a fully devoted follower. Paul is probably one of the most powerful examples of a person fully devoted to the Lord. I can't can't think of a person... Like Paul in this way, he was so focused and God worked to just set up a staggering impact through his life. Listen to what Paul said sort of near the end of his ministry. He said, I count my life of no value to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Here's one of Paul's mottos, Philippians 1.21. Paul says, for me... Living is Christ and dying is gain. You see, Paul knew that the next life was an upgrade. Heaven's an upgrade. But here and now, 
Paul says it's all about Christ. Now keep in mind, Paul was not a pastor. He he was a he was a missionary. He he had a profession. He was a tent maker. He supported himself. So Paul could travel, he could plant churches. He was fully devoted. And think about how could God use your life? Your profession. How could God use your influence to powerfully impact the lives of others? If you're retired, how could God use this season of life? If you're, if you just choose to be fully devoted to Him as, as a follower. If you're widowed, how could God use this season of your life? If you just say, God, I offer myself completely to you. Use me. Use me now. If you're divorced, if you're single, if you have a family, what if you just determined with where you're at in life right now, what if you determined to live a life laser-focused for Christ? Don't underestimate what God could do through you. The third thing, his story helps us understand a good portion of the New Testament. Paul's letters make up nearly half of the New Testament letters. 13 of the 27 New Testament books are Paul's letters to churches or to individuals. And our plan in this series is to go up through Acts chapter 12, and then we're going to pause and shift. But then we're going to pick up Acts 13 through 28. My sense is we'll do it in the fall. We'll call it Paul in the fall. And I've got a few months so I can work out the title if you, if you you can find a better title probably. So here's the fourth takeaway for from his turnaround. Starting fresh with God requires humility. When Saul's converted, I think it's a tremendous example of what God wants. We have all sorts of big ideas. We all think we've got life figured out and others are still working on it. Well, Saul was a great example of that. He was so passionate, so committed, yet it all got unraveled there on the road. And what happens is God brought him to the very bottom. It all came crashing down. You see this example of humility and teachability. He's, bl- he's blinded for a moment, and he has to be led by hand like a child into the city. And I love how he just how God humbles him and then uses him in that state. And so for us, the takeaway is, you know, I, I probably need to reconsider all my big ideas. If my big ideas, if I'm more caught up in them, if I think I've got it all figured out in life, then how, how can God really use me? Humility comes before honor. So I, I really want to encourage all of us uh, to choose humility. That leads to high honor in life. I want to invite our worship team back up and encourage you to consider some next steps. The first is to consider following Jesus as your savior and your boss, as the Lord of your life. You can you can check on the digital connection card that you'd like to learn more about Jesus. We would love to share with you how to connect with Christ personally. It's the most important decision. Don't don't think oh, I'll wait till the end of my life. You don't know when that is. If God's tugging on your heart even tonight, we have some folks that will be in our prayer tent over here beside this screen. And during this last song or after service is over, we've got some people available just to pray with you. We would love to share with you more. The second thing is we want to encourage you to practice sharing your story with others. All of us have a story where there's this turnaround experience. Our story is three things. It's my past wasn't working. 
Here's how Jesus turned my life around. And here's what he is doing presently in my life. I would encourage you to practice sharing your story. And then the third thing, identify and begin praying for one person to have a spiritual conversation with. Maybe that's be praying for this that before Christmas even, that you would have a, be prepared to have a spiritual conversation with someone uh, in your life. And so here's a few, those are just a few next steps. I hope that uh, you'll consider one of those and, and, and seek to apply God's word tonight. Father, we just take the moment right now to just pray and, and thank you for your word. Thank you for this story as we as we've looked at Saul's major turnaround. Thank you, Lord, for this example of a life well lived. God, thank you for the way that we could probably identify with aspects of it. And I know that there's many of us here, Father, right now that we we we've latched on to some of our big ideas and we're not really ready to let go of them. Father, I pray that you would, for those that need clarity on what it means to follow Christ, please, Lord Jesus, would you draw them close to you? Would you create a sensitivity and a softness in their hearts, Lord? Would you draw them through your, through your spirit, through your power, to come to the end of themselves, the end of their big ideas, to just say, I, I'm open. I want to know more. Father, for those that that have big giant questions, Lord, I pray that you would provide the answers and bring the clarity. Even tonight, I pray. God, for those that are scared and that they're dealing with worries and fears, God, I pray that you'd, you'd grant faith and courage to face those challenges through your son, Jesus. God, for those of us here that know you personally, give us a boldness. Give us a courage, God, to walk across the street, to talk to a neighbor. To be open with a coworker, to be to be bold, to be gentle, but God still to be bold. We pray for that courage, Lord, for us as a church. God, spiritually during the Christmas time, I, I pray for an openness and people that we might be able to share with, Lord. Help us to to be faithfully praying, God, for these types of opportunities that we would see others experience this total turnaround in their lives, just as we've ourselves experienced and, and we've read about tonight. God, we thank you for this time and this group. We praise you, Lord God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at occathome.com to learn more about how to connect with us. And join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast. Have a great day.